Good morning. I'm grateful to be with you again uh, today as an example, yet again, that the children's sermon is the most nerve-wracking part of the uh, <laughs> service. So I'm good now. Uh, uh, I think there is a special place in heaven for people who've done more than one children's sermon uh, and came back for it. So for all of you that do that regularly, thank you uh, for the service you do to the kingdom. I, I've said often to people that um, in, in seminary, you go to seminary for three years and you do about one day on children's sermons. And then a lot of people become an associate pastor and you do 40 children's sermons in your first year and you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. But um, uh, it, it is uh, always a time that we are humbled and we usually learn more than I think they do. So I'm grateful for that this morning. Grateful to be with you. I, part of me wishes I was in Gatlinburg, but the part of me that starts soccer on Tuesday is grateful that I have a weekend with my wife. Um, if you haven't ever been to Gatlinburg on this trip to, with the youth, um, it's an amazing experience and encourage you to uh, try that sometime if, uh, if you get an opportunity for those of us that have gone. Uh, but I'm grateful to be with you. Uh, this morning we're going to take a look at the beginning of 1 Corinthians uh, verses 1 through 9. Um, it's one of those introductions of uh, a book in the Bible where often, it, I don't know about you, but if I'm just reading personally, it's like, oh, I'm skipping this part because it doesn't look very interesting. It's just talking about some names and intro. Let me get on to a good story. Um, and uh, sometimes it's, it takes a lot to kind of dig into. But we're going to try to do that a little bit this morning uh, with 1 Corinthians. And, and maybe it tells us a lot about who we are supposed to be as the church. Uh, so listen uh, for the word of God this morning from 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, <clears throat> to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I give thanks to my God for you always because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you've been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. So I'm going to let you in on a secret. I want you to pay close attention. This is going to surprise you. Church can be boring. I mean, I hear that all the time, especially with the young people I work with. I hear rumors that some people say they don't get anything out of church, and that's why they don't go. I know that sounds completely crazy, and you haven't heard such things, but it is true. Addressing that among those who have chosen to be here on a cold morning is literally preaching to the choir. But we don't always come to church because we are excited about what will happen. That's something most of us gathered here today understand. We didn't come today because we thought some great rock concert was going to break out, which seems to be the expectation of some people when you're looking at why to go to church. 
In fact, it is unlikely the reason that we chose to enter the doors today is that you thought something amazing or spectacular would happen to entertain you. That's probably not why you came through the doors of this church anyway, I would imagine. Instead, you came as an act of devotion to God. We, we came this morning to fill our souls through song and prayer. We come to gather around God's Word. We come to confess our sins. We come to give thanks to God for the lives that we get to live. And we come to see our spiritual friends. And we come for other reasons that each of you know in your own hearts. But I ask you this morning, do we need church? Do we need this fellowship that Paul refers to in this introduction to the Corinthians? If spirituality is all about our personal relationship with God, could we not be faithful alone? I mean, the church over time has made a lot of mistakes. We get associated with things as church people that we're not proud of. We, we disagree about a whole lot and churches split constantly. Could we not save time by just seeking to be more faithful from the comfort of home where we don't have to put a coat on on a cold morning? After all, we really should spend more time worshiping at home. That's one of the weaknesses in our society today. We could all pray more. We probably all need to read our Bibles more. And we could all spend more time with nature and God's creation. If we all just went home, we could sing whatever hymn we like, and then we don't have to whine about them. And then we could do things just the way we want to have them done. I mean, it's, it's an attractive thought. Makes me think of the Emily Dickinson poem. She says, Some keep the Sabbath going to church. I keep it staying at home. With a bubble link for a chorister and an orchard for a dome. Some, some keep the Sabbath in surplus. I just wear my wings, and instead of tolling the bell for church, our little sexton sings. God preaches a noted clergyman, and the sermon is never long. So instead of getting to heaven at last, I'm going all along. Does that not seem attractive? You could control the length of the sermon even, she says. So why don't we just go do it on our own? I remember hearing this point when I was in high school and thinking, hmm, like what if I just shot basketball all morning while praying to God? But that's why we have these words from Paul. He says very clearly, it's not about you. Words I use in the classroom regularly. It's not about you. And words I use just as often with every age of every generation. It's not about you. That's, that's Paul's whole point of the letter. It is not about you. Scripture actually does not talk ever about having a personal relationship with God. It talks about a communal relationship with God. Now, it does not say we shouldn't have a personal relationship, but it doesn't emphasize it either. In fact, language of having a personal relationship with God is rather unique to American Christianity particularly as a point of the emphasis of faith. Paul rather uses language about community constantly. While we often think of Paul as this self-reliant and brilliant scholar, he always speaks in shared language. Maybe his Thomas Saul, the great persecutor of the new faith, makes him this way. I don't know. 
Whatever the case, Paul makes two things clear in his opening nine verses of this letter. It is all about God, and we discover that together. I think about the uh, original animated movie of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Remember when Rudolph decides he's going to go out on his own, and then we have the aspiring dentist out on his own, and they discover each other, and they're all being rebels, and they're going to do everything on their own, and then they decide, and I, I've just always loved the line, let us be independent together. <laughs> and if you think about it, the whole arch of the rest of that movie is the slow coming together of this community that they slowly build as they understand Christmas. It's, it's a Christmas movie, but it's a church movie too for me. Let us be independent together. Paul points to the emphasis on God and you, or more accurately where we live, God and all of you, or as we would like to say, y'all. So it's not about you, but it is about y'all. In these 175 words, Paul makes 21 references to God or Christ. And one out of every six words is some name for God. There is no doubt about what matters to Paul. Especially when we hear people say things like Paul's all about himself. This is the kind of text that makes it clear that's not the case. All nine verses are one sentence filled as much with a shout out to God as to the church in Corinth. This is all about the Corinthians' relationship with God. It's about who God is, when God is, and how and why God is for these people. The emphasis on Jesus is important because Paul has always been known for speaking of God, but not always on recognizing Jesus as God. Paul says, I once in this whole thing and refers to God 21 times. Paul is not about Paul. He's about God. Not only is Paul more about God than himself, but also more about others. Truth be told, he does not even write all these letters by himself, which is controversial to some people, but as someone who used to teach New Testament, it's just a fact of what we know is Paul didn't write all his letters, but he claimed all of them. There are always others who share in what he has to say. In this instance, he's telling us when he mentions Sosthenes that Sosthenes is a brother in faith and that he's partly responsible for this letter being written. Paul almost always brings greetings to a community from a more intimate community. And so he's not just saying, this is from me, it's from these other people that I'm worshiping with and I'm now sharing this all with you because we're learning all these things together. Likewise, his letters are not only to a specific group, but intended to the community even beyond the church. That's why he says all things and in every place constantly. This is not a private story about me and my Jesus. It's a story about our God and our life together. And sadly, that has become a far too radicalized version of the gospel in today's culture. The fact that my faith and your faith are to be dependent on one another should not be something that's a remarkable thought. But more and more often, it seems to be the case. Paul tells us God is faithful, and by God we are strengthened in the fellowship of Christ. But we cannot be faithful alone. We can barely be faithful together. The view that the strong are faithful enough to not be in need is a view of our independent, self-reliant American culture rather than a view of the New Testament. Maybe it's why we so often view Paul as arrogant or self-absorbed. We read his lectures as criticisms and we presume them to be his personal boasting. But it really says more about us. Paul has made clear where his strength comes from, and in this case, 
he gives thanks to God for his faith. Strength is not something internal, but something we receive from God and that we come to understand through one another. We have a need for a community of faith, something that I think we learn most when that community is absent. The time I most think about this is I remember going off to college and my high school experience wasn't the best. My last year of high school, I spent most of the time thinking about where I was headed. And I was so excited about going to college. And I couldn't wait and I was going to the University of Alabama and I had my dorm and I remember waiting all summer to get there and I got moved in and my mom came with me. One thing I remember from that day is it rained all the way there and I put all my stuff in the back of a pickup truck. <laughs> and every time the rain got too much, we were driving from Gardendale to Tuscaloosa. We'd have to pull up under a bridge for the rain to slow down because if, we if we went fast enough, most of the stuff would stay dry. And I remember it being such a good day and I was so excited and we got moved in and the last thing we were doing before we left is my mom took me to the Arby's, um, which used to be like the only place uh, near Alabama. Uh, now it's, you know, a whole different campus. And I remember being in Arby's and being this swelled up, proud college student, excited with the world. And right in the middle of Arby's, I just started bawling. I just started sobbing because I was scared. All of a sudden, all that excitement of being an 18-year-old, free from the world and happy to be escaping all the things I thought I was getting away from, I just got scared and I started crying. And then, of course, anybody here who's a mother can imagine what the emotions were for my mom. I don't even understand them. But she was really worried. And we started talking. And I remember finally coming to a sense of peace. And this is the words I gave to my mom and she says them regularly. I said, Mom, I think I'll be okay. I just need a church. I just need a church. I was scared of those people in my dorm. They were weird. Most of them became best men and groomsmen in my wedding. <laughs> there was all these new ideas and I was scared. I said, I just need a church. And I think back to that moment and times in my life since then, that feeling of helplessness hasn't changed. A few years ago, when everything fell apart for me, because the church that I found in Tuscaloosa is the same people that would lead me deciding to be a minister. Those same fears and, scare, and those scary moments led me to actually a building and a place where people would love me and lead me to lead in campus ministry and go on to decide it was time to go to seminary. But it wouldn't stop my need of church. And a few years ago when all those dreams came crashing down and I didn't know what God wanted me to do, I still had that feeling of God, I just need a church. We all have that in us. There's moments when we have this temptation to believe, if I could just go into my own backyard and find you, Lord, it would be easier because those people are weird and they're scary and they can be mean and I can't do this anymore. But God reminds us that we still need a church. We need a place where we can be independent together. And this morning we give thanks to God that each of us have gathered on this cold morning to be the church of y'all. So that the next time we feel like God is silent, we know we have a place that we can come together and find something of faith 
until we're healed again. To God be the glory now and forever. Amen.